Hello, this is Gary Hutchins with the Sunny Slope Church of Christ in Omaha, Nebraska. Welcome to our Wednesday night Bible class. Again, we're podcasting a Wednesday night Bible class for all of those who cannot be with us in person at the building at the Sunny Slope Church of Christ in Omaha. We're also podcasting this regular Bible study for those who are listening in other parts of the country and literally around the world. Now, if you're in the Omaha area, we hope that you can come and be with us in person. Our Bible class begins at 6.30 every Wednesday evening, and our church building is located at 3606 North 108th Street, 3606 North 108th Street in Omaha. And we encourage you to come and be with us in person, study God's word with us, worship God with us, and grow spiritually with us. We podcast these studies, and we encourage you to share them with everybody you can on a regular basis, because you know people undoubtedly in your life who need to turn their lives around spiritually. They need to start thinking about their relationship with God. They need to grow in their faith. They need to come to God through Jesus Christ, because eternity is coming and salvation hangs in the balance. So share these studies with everybody you can all the time. You can do that through Facebook friends, text messages, other technological means, but make that commitment and start sharing today with your family members, friends, work associates, neighbors, again with literally everybody you can. You may help somebody turn their life around. You may help somebody get to heaven. What a great blessing for them, but it will also be a great blessing for you. Now, we also encourage you to encourage everybody you can to go to our website at churchofchrist.com, churchofchrist.com. Click on the email, I'm sorry, click on the podcast button and sign up for our podcasting. It is free. It always will be free. We keep emphasizing we're not after people's wallets. We want to help as many people as we can get to heaven. When somebody signs up for a podcasting, they will automatically receive to their smart device, whichever one they choose, our Wednesday night Bible class, our Sunday morning Bible class, all of our sermons, and a daily Monday through Friday radio program, Search the Scriptures, but also a seven-day-a-week short Bible class called Today's Bible Class. And I really think that is an outstanding daily Bible study that we can fit into our busy schedules, driving to work, coming back home from work, taking our break at work, maybe taking a break at home from our chores, whatever the case might be, we can fit in about 13 minutes every day getting into God's word. So we want to encourage you to encourage everyone you can to sign up for our podcasting. Go to our website again, churchofchrist.com. Now, while they're at the website, they can access hundreds of sermons, many of which are now featured in video format as well as audio format, and they can download and read and study through hundreds of scripturally based and spiritually focused articles. So encourage everyone you can to go to the website and sign up for our podcasting. Again, it is absolutely free, always will be free. We're going to get back into our study of Second Peter, and we're getting very close to finishing this particular study. We're in chapter 3, and we're going to look at verse 13 today. I thought perhaps we would maybe even finish the third chapter and be finished with this second letter from the Apostle Peter, inspired by God, guided 
by God through the Holy Spirit to write this letter. But uh, I think we're probably going to end up spending this time today on verse 13. Now, we've been, uh, over the last few weeks, we've been spending each session, study session, on pretty much one or two verses. And this one is probably going to require our time today. In verse 13, Peter says, Nevertheless, we, according to his promise, look for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. Now, first, what is the prerequisite to this particular statement by Peter, that we, according to his promise, look for new heavens and a new earth? Well, he has just said in verses 10 and 11 that God is going to destroy this earth one day. Now, going back to verse 9, Peter says, well, let's go, you know, back actually to the first, the first uh, seven verses. Peter was dealing with scoffers or critics, uh, people who, you know, did not really have a really firm belief in the fact that Jesus is coming back for a final day of judgment because they said, hey, you know, he hadn't come back yet. When's he coming back? Well, they were scoffers as Peter identified them and classified them. And what we tried to point out was that these scoffers were issuing or voicing this criticism of that particular teaching that Christ is coming back again to judge the world because he had not come back yet, but it had only been a relatively few years since since Jesus had a ascended back to heaven following his death and burial and resurrection. We're probably talking about no more than, well, maybe 20, probably less than 20 years, actually, since that event when Jesus ascended back to heaven until Peter is writing this second letter. Well, 20 years and the people were all, some people were already scoffing. It's been almost 2,000 years now and people are scoffing. But Peter was reminding the people, as we need to remember ourselves today, that when we're talking about when will God send Christ back on that final day of judgment, when will he bring this world as we know it to an end, God is eternal. And time, as we understand time and live through time, has no meaning to God. And so Peter says in verse 8, You need to remember that with God, a day is like a thousand years or a thousand years is like a day. And and he could have said 10,000 years or 20,000 years, or he could have said 500 years is like a day with God. What he's saying is God is eternal and time as we understand time has no meaning for God because he is eternal. Well, and then in verse nine, Peter went on and said, but this time that you are experiencing right now what you consider be to be a a lapse you're scoffing at it because within this relatively short period of time you haven't seen the lord come back yet peter said god's given you time to repent he's giving mankind time to repent god's not willing that any should perish but that all should come to repentance verse 9 but then peter he comes back and affirms but god's patience this time that God is giving humanity 
to, to repent, to learn the gospel, to repent and come to him through Jesus Christ for forgiveness and salvation and eternal life, God's patience is going to come to an end. The day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night in which the heavens will pass away with a great noise. The elements will melt with fervent heat. Both the earth and the works that are in it will be burned up. And so Peter says, uh, you don't need to be scoffing. You need to understand, take advantage of the time that God is giving you and giving all of mankind to learn the gospel and respond to it in obedience because the day of the Lord will come. You can hang your hat on that. And when he comes again, this world will be brought to an end. It will be burned up. The elements will melt with fervent heat. The earth, everything in it will be burned up. And then he goes on in verse 11 and he says, since these things are going to be dissolved, since this world is going to come to an end, since the Lord is coming back for that final day of judgment, you need and he uses rational and logical reasoning here, don't you need to be paying attention to how you're living your life before him right now and every day? Of course, you need to be getting ready. And you also need to be looking for and hastening the coming of that day because if you're living the faithful Christian life, what Jesus is going to transition you into is going to be eternal life in the, in the beauties and glories and the bliss of heaven. And there'll be no more tears, no more crying, no more dying, no more pain, no more sickness, no more suffering there. So you ought to be looking forward to that and preparing for that day by the way that you're living your life right now before him. Now, verse 13, where we really pick up in earnest today, Peter goes on and he says, nevertheless, we, according to his promise, look for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. There are a few verses of scripture that talk about a new heaven, new heavens and a new earth. And a lot of people have become theologically confused, I believe is a good word. And there have been numerous different interpretations in the minds of people that they have put out there as to what this really means. Well, we can go back to the book of Isaiah, and in Isaiah chapter 65 and verse 17, the prophet wrote this, again, a reference to new heavens and a new earth. 65 and verse 17, and Isaiah wrote, for behold, I create new heavens and a new earth, and the former shall not be remembered or come to mind. And then in the very next chapter, in chapter 65, uh, 66, rather, and verse 22, he writes again, For as the new heavens and new earth which I will make shall remain before me, says the Lord, so shall your descendants and your name remain. Hmm, interesting. Isaiah mentions new heavens and new earth twice within two chapters of that particular prophetic book, but he doesn't go into much in the way of detail. And neither does Peter here in Second Peter 3 and verse 13. 
When we look at the Revelation and the Apostle John wrote down what he was instructed to write in the Revelation, we look at chapter at chapter 22 and uh, chapter 21 rather, and I want to read the first four verses there. John writes. Now he is writing in apocalyptic literature and highly symbolic, highly illustrative. He's using figures that we can and images that we can relate to in our physical finite existence on this physical earth, like golden streets in heaven. But those golden streets are transparent; you can see through them. Well, we don't know anything about we don't know about any any gold that's like that. And so he talks about gates of pearl. Well, one big pearl for a gate? Uh, or is, are they gates that are studded? Or is he simply talking about the brilliance of and the purity of those gates in, leading into heaven? Yeah, it, and so it goes on and on along those lines. Very illustrative, very, very highly symbolic literature uh, that he uses when he writes the Revelation. But now in the first four verses of chapter 21, he says, now I saw a new heaven and a new earth for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away and there was no more sea. No more sea? Uh, We have a bunch of seas on earth right now. Is he talking about the oceans? Is he talking about lakes and rivers and so on? He just says, no, there, there shall be no more sea. Well, if we had time, we could go back and talk about how there is a sea that is portrayed, to some, to some extent at least, within heaven itself. Is that what he's talking about? Well, I think it is, and I think it represents that we will be in God's very presence in heaven as the redeemed, as the saved but only as the redeemed and the saved. He goes on in verse 2, and he says, Then I, John, saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adored for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from heaven saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men, and he will dwell with them, and they shall be his people, and God will be with them and be their God. And God will wipe every tear from their eyes. There shall be no more death, nor sorrow, nor crying. There shall be no more pain, for the former things have passed away. Well, people, again, have taken these few verses and some others, and they have kind of combined them together, and they have then portrayed to people who will who they're supposedly teaching, that there's going to be a time when the Lord comes back on that final day of judgment, but he's going to, instead of destroying the world, he's going to come back and sit on David's throne in Jerusalem for a thousand years. Now, as I said, there are other passages of Scripture that they pull into this interpretation and application. He's going to sit on David's throne for a thousand years and everything's going to be hunky-dory basically on earth. Uh, But then the world's going to come to an end, I think is how they portray it, at least some of them. And there are variations in this premillennial and different kinds of millennial views. Very confusing, especially when you think about 
what the Apostle Paul laid out as how the Lord is going to come again on that final day of judgment, what is going to happen. In 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, and we read, with, we read beginning with verse 13, Paul said, we are bound to give thanks to God always for you, brethren, beloved by the Lord, because God from the very beginning chose you for salvation through sanctification by the Spirit and belief in the truth, to which he called you by our gospel for the obtaining of the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. We're called to God through Christ, through the gospel message of forgiveness and salvation that, that God sent Jesus to bring to this world, to mankind. Paul goes on in verse 15, he says, Therefore, brethren, stand fast and hold the traditions which you were taught, whether by word or our epistle. Now, may our Lord Jesus Christ himself and our God and Father, who has loved us and given us everlasting consolation and good hope by grace, comfort your hearts and establish you in every good work. Now, so Paul is encouraging them, encouraging them. There's going to come a time when we're going to need encouragement. And I I think we could be seeing that time right now. And that time being when Christianity is going to be under tremendous persecution. We're already seeing that to some extent, at least, I, I think on a heightened basis in our country right now. And so what should we be looking for when the Lord comes again? Well, we're going to be meeting him in the air. That is, the saved will be meeting him in the air. There's no statement that says that when he comes again, that he's going to set a foot even on this earth, but the saved will meet him in the air. And that's going to be important for us to understand. There's when we're talking about him sitting upon the throne of David for a thousand years, again, where does that come from? But there are people who think that. And during that time, supposedly everything's supposed to get all, the Jews are supposed to come to him and all of that. But again, there are all kinds of variations of this particular doctrine that are put out there. And so the confusion only gets more confusing. But when we look at when, when it talks about when the Lord is going to come back, it's, it, it, it doesn't say he's going to come back on this earth. He's going to come, if we go back to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, it says in verse 16, for the Lord himself would descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of an archangel, and with the trumpet of God, And the dead in Christ will rise first. That is, the faithful Christians will rise to meet him first. Then we who are alive and remain, so those Christians who are still living on this earth and have not died physically, shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air verse 17 of 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. So those who have, those Christians who were faithful and died physically before the Lord comes again, they will rise first and meet the Lord. And then those who are still living 
as faithful Christians upon the earth when he comes again on that final day of judgment, we will join them and meet the Lord in the air. We'll be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and thus we shall always be with the Lord. But that says nothing about the Lord coming back and setting even one foot upon this earth again, much less coming back to the city of Jerusalem and reigning on David's throne for a thousand years. Jesus is already reigning in heaven. And so we come back to 2 Peter chapter 3, and we we look here at verse 13, nevertheless, we, according to his promise, look for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. So what could Peter be talking about there? What could Isaiah have been pointing toward back in Isaiah chapters 65 and 66? What could John be portraying in Revelation chapter 21 in the first four verses? Now, again, the Bible does not contradict itself in doctrinal matters. And so when Paul writes that we will meet the Lord in the air and thus we shall always be with him, well, why would we meet him in the air if he's going to come back and establish a throne on this earth? Well, what, what, could, what could all of these these texts of Scripture, what could they mean? How could we understand them? I'd like to read from a brother in Christ who is a true scholar. He's, he's been dead now for quite some time. But I did get to sit under his feet, so to speak, a number of times while he was still living and teaching. And uh, his name is Guyan Woods, or was Guyan Woods. Now, <clears throat> let me read something that he writes along this line. Now, first, he says, more than this, we cannot, with our present state of information, know. Numerous questions men are disposed to raise regarding the manner it was not Peter's intention, or for that matter, any inspired man, or in other words, any inspired writer of the scriptures to answer. Peter didn't say any more than he said in verse 13. So Brother Woods went on and said, where will the new heaven and earth be located? What would be the nature and characteristics of it? These are questions beyond our knowledge right now. It is sufficient for us to note that, first, the new heaven and earth will follow the destruction of the present heavens and earth. Now, those who believe in a premillennial doctrine of some kind believe Jesus is going to come back to this earth and reign on this earth for a thousand years. But Peter says this earth is going to be destroyed. And there are other passages of Scripture that say the same thing. Brother Woods goes on and says, the earth that will then be is not this one. Well, why? Because it's going to be destroyed. It is, then, it is this earth which embodies the hopes and expectations of those who believe in some kind of premillennial doctrine where Jesus is going to come back and lay, reign on this earth. But there is no hint of a reign of Christ on the earth, which Peter describes in this text. He doesn't even mention anything about that, does not allude to it in any way. Christ will have terminated his reign 
and delivered the kingdom to the Father before the events are accomplished, which the apostle here details. 1 Corinthians 15, verses 23 and following. There is therefore no support whatsoever in this passage for the premillennial theory that the Lord is going to come back and sit on David's throne and reign a thousand years. Now, Brother Woods goes on in his analytical reasoning, and he says, from a careful consideration of the matters set forth in the foregoing passage, these facts seem to appear. The present heavens and earth serve as a figure of the heavens and earth to follow. The words heavens and earth are not intended to embrace all of God's material universe, but only that portion where his people dwell. It is the antitype, this limitation must be understood, or in the antitype, this limitation must be understood, and the words new heaven and earth must then be regarded as a designation of where God's people dwell, and not a detailed description of some future abode. Heaven is the final abode or dwelling place of the people of God. Therefore, the phrase new heavens and earth must be understood as a designation for heaven itself. And that is the best understanding that I've been able to come up with in years of study on this particular subject. Again, we're talking about figurative language in Revelation 21, verses 1 through 4. And we are continually told that God has a dwelling place prepared for us if we will live a faithful life before him here as his followers, as Christians. He has a place prepared for us in heaven. What did Jesus say in John chapter 14? The night of his betrayal, and he was preparing the apostles for his crucifixion the next day. In verse 1, he says, let not your heart be troubled. Do you believe in God? Believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions or rooms. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. Where? Lord, in heaven, in my Father's house. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself that where I am, there you may be also. And you know where I go, he goes on and says. The way you know. Where is he going? After he's crucified, after he comes forth from the grave, risen, and after he appears to hundreds and hundreds of people as the risen Savior for 40 days, he goes back to heaven. And so he tells them, Again, in, in, in verse 2 of John chapter 14, in my Father's house are many mansions or rooms. In verse 3, I go and prepare a place for you. Where is he going? To heaven. Where is he preparing that place for us? In heaven. And then he's going to come back that where I am there you may be also. He's going to be in heaven. So, we need to be careful about some of the, well, we need to be careful about over-interpreting Scripture that is just giving us enough information to be able to look forward to eternity with God and Christ and the Holy Spirit in heaven, 
but it does not give us all of the details of what are, in some cases, figurative or very illustrative language that is used to get that ultimate destiny across to us. Peter doesn't talk about Jesus coming back to this earth and reigning for a thousand years in a particular city on a particular throne. I believe we can understand. Now, again, he doesn't give us any details of what he says in verse 13, but I think we can understand by those, by those phraseologies there, new heavens and a new earth in which the righteousness, in which the righteous dwells, I think he's talking about heaven itself. I think that's probably the best, safest, most down-to-earth understanding we can, we, can, we can get. Heaven itself, our eternal abode with God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. We'll pick up with verse 14 next time. I hope this study has really uh, just heightened your understanding, maybe I should say deepened your understanding, and heightened your desire to learn more from God's Word through careful study. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, thank you for giving us uh, your Word in such rich dimensions to help us to be motivated, encouraged, even excited to keep studying more and more and learning thereby more and more of your word and what you want us to know and understand as we live before you as your faithful followers here upon this earth and look forward to being with you for all of eternity in heaven. Help us to have strong faith as we study your word more and more. Praise, glory, honor, and thanks be to you, Father. And we pray for people all over the world to get into your word and learn your truth and obey it, Father, to their salvation and eternal life. Please forgive us, gracious Father, and hear our prayer. In Jesus' name, amen.